Good morning, brothers and sisters. We're always grateful to the Lord to have the privilege to come together and not only to worship, but to be able to hear his word and to be able to deliver it such as I have today. So let us begin with prayer. Blessed Father, we ask you to meet us at this place, to give us indeed understanding, for this is why we are here, Father. We are here to receive from you. We are here to glorify you. And because indeed the bread of heaven is given by you, we ask you that this word that we have may be a blessing to those that are here and those that are also not here and those who are watching, Lord. I pray that indeed, Father, you would have great mercy upon this land and upon our communities because we are living in troubled times, Lord. And this text that we are going to be expounding on, Lord, is regarding this particular issue, Lord. It is a very relevant text, and I pray that we would be able to learn from it, particularly on how we should be looking at you, Lord, in light of all these things that are happening around us. So we ask it in your precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. So uh, the uh, title of the sermon is, How Shall We Cry to Our Lord? But it should have been, uh, How Long Shall We Cry to Our Lord? <laughs> it was a, there was a typo. But I actually think that it was providential, that it, that it was actually stated that way, because at the end of the sermon, you will understand why this, this actually is a more appropriate title. But let us begin by reading Habakkuk chapter 1, looking at verses 2 through 4. If you may please stand as we read the Word of God. Verse 2. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear, or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Amen. You may be seated. Now, it's an interesting, uh, interesting book, the book of Habakkuk, because this is a time when uh, Habakkuk was living right around the time of the prophet Jeremiah. So this was right around the time when the Babylonians were going to come and siege the city and take them into exile. Now, they were, many of them did not believe that was going to happen. Now, the question would be, why? Why did they, why did they believe that? Why did they believe that they would not be uh, taken over? Well, we got to remember, what was the last, the last major thing that happened was that they were actually delivered from the Egyptians, right? And why, why were they delivered from the Egyptians? To be able to be called out and to be put in, in upon the land of God, right? A land where the presence of God was, right? Where the uh, temple is. And so for them, it was a very peculiar thing to think, well, God has put us, his people, in his land, and even here his house sits, right? Would the, would the Lord destroy his house? Right? Wouldn't that be a good question? If the Lord uh, called, you know, for, for, uh, you know, for Solomon, you know, to, to build his house, of course it was done by, by plans and the heart of David, you know, and now, you know, the Lord is going to be destroying it. So this was a very puzzling thing for those people. They thought, if we are the people of God, surely the Lord is not going to wipe us out. And there's an interesting uh, situation with that because there, it, it is actually a good argument. Because if you look at the book of Ezekiel in, in verse, uh, I'm sorry, in chapter, I believe it's in chapter 30, 36. I don't remember if it's 35 or 36. It actually speaks about how God was going to, having they 
been exiled, that he was going to be bringing back the land. And then when he would, be, he would be bringing back the land, he would also be bringing back the people. But the interesting thing is that it doesn't say that he's bringing it back because of them. It says because of his holy name. So there is an importance to the land and there is an importance to the people. But in this particular age, this was a time when they did not know this. Because obviously the prophet uh, Ezekiel came later and revealed that. Right? So what happens is that the prophet, the prophet uh, Habakkuk, he's distraught. Because, you know, here is someone who is righteous, right? One of the faithful. And he's seeing that evil is prospering, you know, in his day. And that it seems like it's the wicked, you know, who are actually doing well. Instead of, uh, instead of the righteous. And if we look in our day, I mean, doesn't it feel that way? If we look at what's been going on with the pandemic, you know, it's not only hit close to home, but it's actually hit all over the world. And it's not only created a problem in terms of, you know, people getting sick, but actually problems with there being unrest and the governments, you know, some governments, I, I think, are overdoing it, you know, and, and the people are, are fighting against it. And so we're seeing some, some very troubled times. You know, we also have uh, the situations, uh, at least, you know, I don't know how it is in other countries, although I, I do know that in certain countries they've always dealt with this. But here in the United States, we're starting to see uh, certain cities where they're actually going soft on crime. And because they're going soft on crime, now innocent people are falling victim to these things. And so we see that the prophet talks about justice being perverted. And we're seeing that in our own day. So we see how the book of Habakkuk is actually very relevant to our time. So as we look at the text and we look at what he's saying, we're going to be able to see how that is actually speaking to our day today and how we can react. So verse 2 says, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear. Or cry to you violence, and you will not save. Now, he has a very interesting objection here, right? Because isn't God good? God is good, right? So we would expect good from God, right? So why would God allow for evil to come? And furthermore, why would God not hear the righteous? Right? Why is God not hearing the righteous? And that is, that is what Habakkuk is saying. Why are you not hearing us? You know, those of us who are keeping... You know, your law in our heart. Why, why are you not hearing us? And you're allowing evil to prosper. But in reality, brothers and sisters, this should have been of no surprise to him. Why? Because let us look at Psalm 34. What is, Psalm 34 is a psalm of David. Let us read verses 19 through 21. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. So we do know one thing, and that's that regardless of whether God is on the throne or, right? Well, he's, he, I was going to say or not, but actually he is on the throne. <laughs> you know? But, uh, you know, regardless of whether actually God is, is doing something at the moment would be the better way to phrase it or not. That doesn't mean that God will not act. I think the problem that we have is that we want to see swift action, Right? That's the problem. We want, we want things to be done how? The way we men think, right? We always want to always be receiving what is good. We don't want to see, receive any bad. But do you guys remember what uh, Job told his wife, right? When she told him, oh, you know, why don't you curse God and, 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 and die, you know, because of all the evil that has come upon you. And he said, you foolish woman, right? If we receive good from God, shall we not also receive evil, right? And that actually tells us a lot. Because what that means is that there, God has a use for evil. There's a reason why God uh, sometimes allows evil to prosper. And the question would be, well, what would that be for? 
right? Because this is one of the reasons why atheists actually love to go against God. They said, well, if there's a good God, he would have already acted. Why is God allowing, you know, these children, you know, in, in Africa to die from hunger? Or, you know, or why did he allow these innocent people to die on 9-11? Why didn't he act there? He could have saved them there. Well, the reason that he didn't is because he's actually showing us how evil we are. When we see these evil things, brothers, doesn't that reveal the actions of men and the heart of men? God is making this manifest to us. And that's what was going on in that generation. In that, in that generation which, you know, Jeremiah and Habakkuk lived in, God was showing the evil of those people. How those that were supposed to be the so-called people of God were actually wicked, wicked people with wicked, wicked hearts. If we continue in uh, Psalm uh, 13, we get further witness of how uh, in this psalm, we see that David himself is actually expressing much of what Habakkuk was expressing. So that's a chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Do you guys see, brothers, how that's an expression of what Habakkuk is showing? And David obviously lived before the time of Habakkuk, so, this, so God has already revealed this in his, in his word, in, in this psalm as, as one of those examples. And so it's important that we understand that when evil is going on, we got to understand that God is on the throne and that whatever's happening, it's happening for a reason. God has a purpose for it. And with time, we will see it happen. We will know why these things will happen. I like, uh, I'd like to uh, look at a quote from, from what's it called, uh, the late R.C. Sproul. And this is actually going back to the idea of how we as men have our own expectations, right? And we want, our desire is to always receive what is good, right? And I like, I like what uh, R.C. Sproul says here. He says, we are not really surprised that God has redeemed us. Somewhere deep inside, in the secret chambers of our hearts, we harbor the notion that God owes us his mercy. Heaven would not be quite the same if we were excluded from it. We know that we are sinners, but we surely, oh, excuse me, but we are surely not as bad as we could be. There are enough redeeming features to our personalities that if God is really just, he will include us in salvation. So he's stating here what men think. And then I, I like what he says at the end, which is, what amazes us is justice, not grace. Because at the end of the day, does God have to be good with us? If we are doing evil, if we're ruining his world, if we're doing evil to our neighbor, does God owe us good? No. no. If anything, God repays according to, according to your deeds, right? So the fact that God even does any good, the fact that he's still doing good, and particularly for unbelievers, is actually a sign that he is good. Continuing forward now, looking at verse 3, it states, Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So here we see that God is, excuse me, that Habakkuk is uh, surprised at God because he's allowing them to actually see these, this evil happening and continuing forward. But one of the ways that we should know that God is, in fact, doing good, even to the unrighteous, is because we get a good example of that in the story of Jonah. 
right? What does God do to Jonah? He calls Jonah to go and preach to the people of Nineveh, right? Now, for us, we're not really told. We don't know through the scriptures, you know, how bad the people of Nineveh were. But they were actually a very aggressive people. And they treated their enemies very, very shamefully. As a matter of fact, from what I understand, uh, I remember uh, when I was going to Calvary Chapel, one of the pastors was explaining that they would actually take their victims and they would actually, you know, nab them and have them walk all the way back to, you know, where they were taking them naked. And they would put hooks, you know, hooks on, on, their, on, their, uh, on their noses and, and, you know, and on their hands, you know, through their hands and stuff, you know, to, to, to force them through. So it's no wonder why Jonah was, was so upset because he felt like, oh, these are just awful people, right? In some ways, I guess if we look at it in our day, you know, it's kind of like, you know, we're looking at the, at the situation right now with the Taliban, right? We see the Taliban, you know, they're, they're very fierce. You know, as a matter of fact, it's, uh, it's so sad because uh, there was a, a report where uh, a father actually killed his two daughters. Because he, he, he thought, you know what? I'd rather have my daughters. I'd rather have my daughters be dead than be at the hands of the Taliban. That's that's how bad you know the situation is over there. And I think for Jonah, it was probably the same and similar situation with the Ninevites. So f when God is telling him, hey, go and preach to these people, you know, to go and show them mercy, you know, he didn't want to have it, right? He felt, no, 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 Lord, this, these people deserve it. These are bad people, right? And that speaks to us in our day, right? Maybe we feel that way about the Taliban, right? We feel like, oh, Lord, you know what? Just, just bring a fire let's, or let's throw a nuke, right? Just wipe them all out, <laughs> you know? But that's not, that's not the case. You know, God is merciful and God changes hearts, right? Because at the end of the day, who, who is righteous in and of himself? No one, right? But because God is good, you know, he, he can make even the worst. He can make a, the righteous out of, out of the worst. And that's what we see in essence, in the story of Jonah. And I like the way uh, Jonah responds. And if we look at Jonah chapter 4, verse 2, it says, And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. So that means that even though the, the prophet, you know, wanted doom and gloom to come upon the people, isn't it interesting that he knew, he understood the nature of God, how he was slow to anger, and that he has steadfast love? So this is the issue that Habakkuk is dealing with, that at this time, you have the wicked prospering, because God is being slow to anger. And in our day, brothers don't think that because the evil that's happening right now, that it will always be. Everything has a time, right? As, uh, as Solomon says, you know, in the book of, of Proverbs, right? There's a season to everything. And so right now, the Lord is, is uh, allowing this to happen. And we, we see also an example of this uh, being made, of this statement being made through uh, the, the Apostle Peter, looking at 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. It says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Now, it's very important, brothers, that we understand the context of this particular verse, because this verse has been used for people to try to give a kind of general view of what God has uh, to all men. But this in particular is uh, a letter that is written to who? To believers, right? So this is actually speaking to us, so that if destruction, you know, has not come, it's because God is actually faithful in giving time to those who are being called, right? 
Because even in our day, I mean, right now, you know, like, like we were talking about, you know, they're, they're slaughtering Christians, you know, in, uh, in Afghanistan. But, you know, it was very interesting. They actually uh, asked, uh, uh, there was a group of Christians that were actually uh, asked to be, if they wanted to be helped, you know, to, to, to be gotten out. And they actually said, we're not going to leave. I said, but why are you not going to leave? You know, you're, you're under the threat of death. They said, because we know that if we leave, then the gospel will not be preached. And the, and the gospel of Christ has to be preached even in this land. You know? And if that means danger, then we will look for danger. But I'm sure that they also knew that the very God who commissioned them to give the gospel could also protect them. Will some of them die? Probably. But, you know, we have that same admonition in the book of Revelation. I believe it's, I don't remember if it's in a chapter 2 or chapter 3 in what to one of the churches where it says, you know, that some of you, I think it's chapter 2, where it speaks about that some of you are going to be put in jail, you know, and, uh, you know, for 10 days, and, and, you know, and some of them might even, you know, die. But what does he say? What is the uh, reward of that? A crown. A crown of glory, you know. And that's the one thing, brothers, that we, we have to take consideration in, which is that it's hard, but we don't know why God, what, what God called us for. And sometimes, some of, sadly, some of the saints will have to experience death. And if that's something that we have to consider, then let us consider that, why are we living? Why do we live? For who do we live? We live for our Lord. You know? He's, he, all, everything that we experience that's good and everything that we have is from Him anyway, right? And the most wonderful reward we have is to be able to have eternity with Him. So we want to keep a sober perspective on that. Uh, on one of my notes that I, that I, that I put here, I put, uh, why would God still be... Uh, be still during uh, destruction and violence or when strife is arising. Well, one of the reasons why is because as we were talking about, God has a time for things and sometimes God allows man to actually show his depravity. And I want to give an example of this from Genesis 15 verse, verse 16. So Genesis 15 verse 16. And in here, the Lord is speaking to Abraham. And he's letting him know about how he's going to bless him, right? And he's going to give him, you know, seed. He's going to have his, uh, his, uh, his offspring. But he is also letting them know what was to happen in the future. And look what it says. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here. For the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Now, what is this referring to? So this land that Abraham was going to be given... It was actually a hand, uh, excuse me, it was actually a land that was already inhabited by other peoples. But we see here that in speaking in particular of the Amorites, notice that it says that, that, it's, uh, that, that he's not going to do it until their, uh, their sin has reached a full measure. Other, other uh, translations uh, have it as complete. So that, that means that God, God allows for evil to, to actually expose itself up to a certain point. And it could be that in our day, that's what we may be seeing. This may be God letting us know, the world is not that great, brothers. Things are still bad. Sin is still prevailing, right? And evil men are ruling. And so this is one of the ways that, that God shows it. If we look at the Proverbs 14, verse 29, it states, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper, exalts folly. Now here, this is obviously a 
admonition to men, right? But notice that even God is teaching us that just as he is slow to anger, we have to also be slow to anger. And in particular, you know, we tend to think of our relation when we think about being slow to anger with men, right? You know, or sometimes it could be our children or, or, or family members. Sometimes it could be parents, right? You know, but at the end of the day, we have to actually practice that also with God. If we're angry about what's happening, we got to be careful. And we got to wait on the Lord. Because the, the Lord is doing a work, and that's one thing that we know for sure. So what we got to do is we got to wait and allow to see what is it exactly that the Lord is doing. And that's what Habakkuk, you know, was, was supposed to have been doing. Even though it was great what was happening, he should have known if God is just, God will judge. He is going to judge that. Continuing forward now, we're going to look at uh, verse 4. It says, so the, excuse me, so the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Another thing too that I think is a, a, a great example is that we're also seeing a contrast in the way the wicked and the righteous govern. Because if you have a righteous people governing, what happens? Sadly, I did not bring the, uh, there, there is a proverb that speaks about it, but it basically says that when the righteous govern, the people rejoice. And we see that when the wicked govern, the people don't rejoice. But what happens? They suffer. They suffer because injustice is what actually prevails in the day. And today, we're starting to see that. When you start to see these unjust things happen, it's because that means that we probably don't have good rulers. That's why the Lord asks that we pray for them. It's important that we pray for our rulers so that we can get good counsel and that the Lord could bless us through that. Another thing that uh, I think is very important is that going back to speaking to the fact that God is showing us the, uh, the way of the wicked, I think a good example of this is actually found in Romans chapter 1. Reading uh, uh, verses, I'm sorry, I think it's supposed to be verses 28 through uh, 32. And it says here, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what they ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip. It says here gossips. I think it should be gossipers, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And so here you see a big and very long list of the sins that men commit. Now I want you to think about this. If, if the Lord every time, you know, executed you know, when something wrong was going to happen and prevented it, would these things be made evident to us? Would we see the extent of how far the evil of man can go? No, we wouldn't see that. But because God allows it, He allows it to, to reach a full measure, that's when we can see the evil of man. 
And when we look, and what, and the problem with us, it goes back to what R.C. Sproul said, that we're too busy justifying ourselves. Instead of looking at the wrongs, you know, that, that uh, men, men and women are doing, we want to justify ourselves. We think, well, you know, yeah, I'm a sinner, but I'm not that bad, you know. I don't, you know, I don't wake up, you know, and I'm not, you know, it's almost like the Pharisees, right? You know, thank God I'm not this, I'm not that, you know, I'm not a murderer, you know. And that's what we do. But in reality, you know, we're, we're, we all fall short of the glory of God, some worse than others. But nevertheless, we're all sinners, right? And God actually is showing us. He's showing us how great evil, evil men are. There's a, there's a story I like that was uh, told as a, at a presentation that uh, I saw, which actually had to do with a... Uh, I think it was a, a, a South African who was actually ministering to uh, Christians that were in, in Muslim countries in Africa. And he talks about how there was a reporter who, you know, was uh, very anti-God. And what happened was that he, he was uh, on a tarmac, what they call, you know, where the, where the, where the plane was at. He was waiting for, uh, to board his plane. And it was a super hot day. And, you know, and he was drinking his water. And a little, a little boy came out, you know, came out of the, came out of the field. You know, and, and he came running to him, and he wanted the little boy wanted him to take him. You know, and he you know he was like, you know, I can't take this boy, and the boy ended up basically dropping right there, and he died. You know, the boy died. He was you know uh, dehydrated. Little boy died, and he said, you know, how could people believe in God? You know, here I am, and here's this little boy, and and he just dies right in front of me. You know, and and I love what the what the missionary said. Well. Nothing would have stopped him from you giving him that water and helping him from dying instead of just thinking about yourself, you know. But right away, what do we want to do? We want to blame others, and in particular God, when we have to take consideration our own responsibilities. Because the law, the law is not only to love God, right, and only to do for God, but it's also to love our neighbor and to do good to our neighbor. And so with these things, God makes it very, very evident how evil the heart of men is, and particularly wicked men, men that are not righteous. Looking at uh, Proverbs uh, 24, verse 12, it states, If you say, see, we did not know this, does he not consider it who weighs the hearts? And does he not know it who keeps your soul? And will he not render to man according to his work? These are good questions. Because see, what this is assuming is that men do have a sense of knowing what's good. And if we return to Romans 1, that's what Romans 1 is actually telling us, right? That the creation itself is evidence of God, right? And Romans, uh, chapter, Romans chapter 3, you know, tells us about how, how the, or it might be chapter 2, I don't remember if it's chapter 2 or 3, but in, the, but in the book of Romans, it actually speaks about how those who did not receive the law, the Gentiles, know the law within their own hearts. Right? It's chapter 2. Thank you, brother. Thank you for clarifying. And uh, so there is a sense in which man knows what is right and wrong, but yet what does he do? He does what is evil. That's what God is showing us, that the inclination of man is really is to do evil. The reason why we are here, brothers, and we look for the good, and we wholeheartedly accept his commandments, is because he's given us a new heart. It's the work of God. God himself has to bring goodness from us. Because who alone is good? God, right? 
Which, by the way, if, if uh, anybody out there is saying, oh yeah, well, why did Jesus say, you know, only God alone is good? Well, that's because he was God, <laughs> right? That's what he's basically showing you. Because last I checked, if, you don't, if you're not a sinner, you're a good person, right? So this is one of the ways that we know that, you know, he had to send a son because only God alone can do it, you know? It's not us. We are, we are in, so an insufficient sacrifice. Uh, there was actually a very good uh, a video that I saw this week, and I shared it with a few of the brothers, by... Uh, a ministry, a messianic ministry called uh, a Jewish ministry, messianic, messianic Jewish ministry, called One for Israel, in which they played a a video of a rabbi saying that he was going to debunk uh, Christianity in two minutes. And what he did was he meant he mentions the uh, uh, text in Deuteronomy where it actually speaks that you know that uh, that a a, a a a father will not uh, die you know for the sin of the son or you know or the or the, or the son for the sin of the father. And so he was saying, oh, there you go. You can't do that. That disqualifies, you know, the, the death of Jesus. And he actually brings about how in the context it's actually speaking about corporal punishment. And that if I committed the sin, my father is not to die for my sin. I got to bear that sin, right? But at the same time, you know, he was talking about how if we're all sinners, right, what does the sacrificial system show us? What kind of lamb... What kind of, you know, rams, what kind of bulls did they have to be? They had to be pure. They had to be flawless. But none of us are flawless. That's why no matter how many humans offer themselves, it would, it would not be sufficient. It actually takes the life of the Son of God. And that's why He had to make, be made in our likeness. He had to be humiliated, to come and be lower than the angels, as the book of Hebrews says, so that He could experience death for us. So that that wonderful righteousness that God wants could be given to us, could be imparted to us. But one of the things that I'm also uh, want to focus on is at the very, the very last uh, part of it, which says, "Will He not render to man according to His work?" Because at the end of the day, that's also a very big factor. When I once got into a, a debate with a friend of mine, because we were talking about, you know, what was the basis for which God was going to be judging men. And he was saying, oh, well, it's, it has to do with uh, whether they accepted Jesus Christ or not. And I said, no, that's not it. And he's like, well, well, what do you mean? I said, well, what does the book of Revelation say? When we stand before the judgment of Christ, what does it say that we're going to be judged for? For our deeds. For our deeds that, that we're going to be judged for. What Jesus is, is he's actually, he's actually grace. Right? But all men are going to be judged. In essence, we have also been judged. Because of the fact that Jesus died on the cross for who? For us, for our sins. That judgment has been... That's why we don't receive judgment. Because that judgment has already been taken place. But for those who do not receive Christ, those who don't have payment for their sin, they're going to suffer in their own flesh. You know, that payment. And so we have to remember that because God is just. And as we were learning in the, uh, in the Sunday school, because God is good and He's, and he's perfect, He can't... He cannot sin, right? So to pervert justice is to sin. But there's also a text uh, in the scripture that says that he cannot deny himself. That God cannot deny himself. Why? Because he has to do as the creator what he set out to do. And that is to establish what was good. When the creation was made, what was it said at the end of every day? That it was good. Everything that the Lord does is good. Now, because we're seeing evil abound, many people think, oh, that's not good. Well, that, that all depends, doesn't it? 
if, if the Lord has his good purpose for it, then we know that it is good. It's the same thing that, that we have with uh, the testimony of Joseph, right? Once Jacob died, his brothers in Genesis 50, his brothers come and they're afraid. They're like, uh-oh, it's retribution time, payback time, right? And they're afraid that, that Joseph is now going to take out on them for all the evil that they had done to him. But he reveals, right? You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. So we see that even in the evil, God can bring good out of it. And he states the reason why, and it was to save many lives. Because by him being put as governor, many lives were spared, including that of his own family. Right? Now I want to give you a warning. This is going to sound a little funny, but it, we have a, a, a warning, which is actually in Malachi chapter 2. And as you guys know, we did go through the book of Malachi. But I want to look at verse 17. It says, you have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them, or by asking, where is the God of justice? So what we're seeing here, brothers, is that if you're accusing God of blessing the wicked, that's blasphemy. You're wearying the Lord. So one of the things that we have to very, very, very much stress, and I think that is something that not, that's not stressed in our society uh, very strongly, is that we have to respect the Lord. We have to respect God. I remember when I was growing up in the 1980s, uh, I, I've told some friends this, uh, you know, I used to go down to the local liquor store and I used to like playing a video game, you know, and, and I had quite a little mouth on me, you know. So, so I remember that one time, you know, I was, I was dressed for church and I decided on a Sunday that I wanted to do it before I, I'd leave the church. And I, went, and I went to go play the video game, and, and when the, uh, the uh, owner of the liquor store saw me, he's like, oh, like, do you go to church? He's like, you go to church? And, I was like, and I'm like, yes, and I'm feeling quite embarrassed because I remembered what a foul mouth I had, <laughs> you know, giving a, a bad testimony of, of uh, what a Christian I was. But one of the things that did astound me is how he had respect for it. He had respect for the fact that he saw that even as a little kid, I was going to church. And I remember actually as, as a kid, you know, even like when my, my grandmother, I used to go out evangelizing with my grandmother and we used to meet different people. And sometimes there were people that were not believers, but they had great respect for the Christians. And they would, you know, they would say, you know what, church is not for me, but I have great respect for you guys. I think you guys do good in the world. I personally don't believe this, but you know, but not so, not so today. Now, if you say you're a Christian, now they think you're, you're an enemy of humanity, <laughs> right? So they, they, actually, they actually have it against you. So now, you know, we got we to, gotta, in essence, uh, try and defend ourselves, you know? But at the same time, even the scriptures itself tells us about this, right? There's a reason why Peter says to be prepared, you know, to give an answer and a reason for your faith. Because the world can change, and we're seeing it in our day, brothers. You know, different generations, Right? are falling under different circumstances. All we can do is pray because we do know that even though things can be very bad, as for instance it was during the time of Martin Luther. Martin Luther, I love what, um, uh, there's a pastor by the name of Doug Wilson, and I really like what he pointed out, which is that the reason why you see reform in the, in the, in the world is because of God. God is the one who brings reform. He says, if you look at Luther, what was Luther? Luther was a priest of the medieval church. He wasn't an evangelical, Right? And he had to put him through turmoil in order to have him really look into, into the Lord. And by looking into the Lord, then he discovered the great truth of Scripture. And the Reformation was able to happen. Let's look at Abraham. Who was Abraham before, before he was called by the Lord? 
he was a pagan. He was a, a pagan in, in Chaldea, right? Which is actually in the ancient name for Babylon. And what did the Lord do? He had to call him. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't say, oh, Lord, pick me. Uh, pick me and make a nation out of me, right? He actually picked him. He's the one. And that's what we see. That if, if, we, if we have any hope to see anything good, it's because of the Lord and it can happen. Because it's the same thing actually even with the generation that the Lord called out of Egypt, right? One of the things that's funny about that is that, you know, the Lord actually gave a time. You know, He says, you know, when, when the full measure happens with these people, your people, you know, will, will, uh, will be brought back to the land, right? But at the same time, you know, we're told in Scripture that one of the reasons why God delivered them out of Egypt was because He heard their cries, right? And as you guys know, they cried for the Lord. And then what happened when they were in the wilderness? <laughs> they were murmuring, right? Murmuring, murmuring so bad and so faithless that the Lord actually had to take the original generation and have it uh, die as a manifestation of how faithless they were. But for us, we have hope. We have hope because we see that God actually brings good out of it. And one of the things that I last wanna, want us to consider is what the book of Hebrews, uh, in chapter 11 Looking at verse 6, and obviously we know that this is the chapter that's about the great cloud of witnesses and speaks of all the wonderful saints and how faithful they were in uh, waiting on the Lord, right? Because they hadn't even received the promises, and yet, and yet they were faithful. And it says, And without faith it is impossible to please Him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. So this is the attitude. So this goes back to the original the original thing I had mentioned to you guys. How shall we cry to the Lord? We should cry to the Lord in honor and in awe. Is it, is it okay if you're feeling pain and if you're feeling, uh, uh, you know, these injustices? Yes. Cry out to the Lord because we even see in the example, as I mentioned in Egypt, that the Lord does answer. But we ourselves have to be patient. We have to learn to be patient as the Lord is patient. Because the Lord is doing a good work, brothers and sisters. He's been doing a good work, and He's continuing to do it. And what we're experiencing now, it's really no different than other generations have had. As, as you know, there's a famous story about a ring that was given to King Solomon. And he says that he had, to put, he had put on that ring, this too shall pass. And the reason why was that when things were going really good, he didn't get puffed up, and he would look at that ring, and he would say, this too will pass. But then also when he was suffering and he was down, you know, and he was seeing how evil things were, this too shall pass. That's how our attitude should be in our lifetime today, waiting on the Lord and knowing that the Lord is always going to do good. And furthermore, one day it's all going to end. And then we will have good and holy righteousness forever and ever. Amen. Let us turn to our Lord in prayer. Blessed Lord, indeed let us become slow to anger, long-suffering, patient, Lord, as you are to us. For when we consider, Lord, even the testimony of some of us, it took some of us, Lord, a very long time to come to you. And you were so gracious, Lord, to receive us. And now, Lord, you are doing a work that the world does not believe. Because the world doesn't believe, Lord, that you are truly good. They don't believe that you are doing good. And that's why, Lord, you judge them. But not us, Lord. Let us who are having faith in you, be diligent to seek you and to know, Lord, that if you have said a thing, indeed it will happen. For that's the testimony of your word, Lord. We have nothing sure than the word of God to give us this. As your own word says, Lord, in the book of Isaiah, you have proclaimed things from long ago and they have happened. 
And even now, Lord, while we don't have living prophets and we have your word as that final testimony, the things that are happening in our day are testimonies to the, to the things that you have spoken. Let us take those things and that testimony that we have and use it for your glory. Let us be able to stand in the wicked day and to rejoice with you in the day, Lord, that we have blessing and that we have joy. Our joy comes from you. Our standing, Lord, comes from you. For you have said that when you shake the elements, Lord, when you shake heaven and earth, your people will not be shaken, but that they will stand on that wonderful foundation that you have given, which is Jesus Christ. For we ask it in your precious and holy name. Amen.